Today on the Mission Readiness Review, why is the United States Air Force talking about badly run programs? The return of Blue Origin. And China launches five satellites with one rocket. Discussions and more up next on the Mission Readiness Review. Stefan Kartenberg created the Mission Readiness Review's music, Pod Dreams. Thank you, Stefan. Hello, and welcome to the April 29th, 2018 Mission Readiness Review, Episode 7. The more Air Force people talk, the more things stay the same. From Ground Zero in Colorado Springs, I'm John Holst, and this is my co-host, Ingrid. Hello, John. Good evening, Earthlings. Let's get right into the upcoming launches this week. It's a busy week. We have four of them. The first one is out of China, May 2nd. The rocket is the Long March 4C, and the satellite is the Gaofen 5 Chinese Earth Observation Satellite into low Earth orbit. May 4th out of Florida, the rocket Falcon 9 is putting up the satellite. We're, we're just going for it with the name on this one. Banga Bandu 1 Bangladeshi Communications Satellite, or something like that. And that is in geosynchronous Earth orbit. An Atlas V out of California on May 5th is sending up the InSight Mars lander from the USA. That is going to Mars. And May 6th out of China, the Long March 3B is sending the satellite AppStar 6C Chinese communication satellite into geosynchronous Earth orbit. From last week, we had three successful launches, two for orbital, one for suborbit. Uh, the Rokat out of Russia was launched on April 25th. It launched the Sentinel-3B European Earth Observation Satellite into low, low Earth orbit. On April 26th, Long, the Long March 11 from China launched five Zhuhai-1 Chinese Earth Observation Satellites. One of those was a video Earth Observation Satellite, while the rest were hyperspectral. All of them were launched into low Earth orbit. And then today, New Shepard was launched out of Texas. It had a test capsule on it with a test dummy and other payloads. It went suborbital and came back, back successfully. More on that a little later. Now it's time for the Risk Matrix, an analysis of some of last week's news. So the latest article from Space News about the Air Force was, the Air Force is confident it can build satellites faster, a bigger concern, software. In the article, Will Roper, the Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Acquisition, Technology, and Logistics, talks about space modernization. So he's talking about basically the concept that they'd like to have a quicker system in place for space acquisitions, the acquisitions of systems, satellites, launch vehicles, etc., new satellites and new launch vehicles under space for programs for the United States Air Force. Modernization, he's talking about making things cheaper, maybe quicker. In this case, the changes he thinks are happening are that basically the service wants to replace traditional satellites with satellites that are cheaper. Okay. So that they can be deployed in large numbers, the article says. That sounds like a good plan. Right. And the whole idea is you deploy so many of a certain kind of satellite that the adversary just gives up as far as targeting the satellites that are in orbit. So they can't attack them physically. Or at least if they do attack them. There's enough redundancy. Right. The other part is 
He says there's a lot of creative thinking in space right now, but he doesn't really sh- talk about the Air Force in that creative thinking process. <laughs> of course not. Now, there are certain defense programs out there, like DARPA, that tend to be more on the creative side, but they are creative with a military focus. And then the third part, he talks about lawmakers pushing for change in more aggressive ways for the space acquisition space, space acquisition system in the United States Air Force and the Department of Defense. Mm-hmm. But my question is, is this really just talk right now? Because we've heard this before, or at least I've heard this before. You may not necessarily have paid attention to that. We know historically, and this is based on government accountability, office reports, and other IG reports, that satellites and satellite systems are too expensive. In fact, the latest IG, uh, not IG, but GAO report talks about a concern about how expensive, say, um, the evolved expendable launch vehicle program is. That's not satellites, but that is a space program, and they're talking about how much money the Air Force is spending on it with very little redundancy or even good return on the money that they're spending for what they're launching out there. The other concern is, I mean, one of the other reasons for satellites being expensive is the programs are too slow. So the space-based infrared system, SIBRS, is the poster child for this for the Air Force. It started way back in 89, early 90s, or actually earlier than 89, in the 80s and 90s, with the goal of having everything completed by 99, 1999. And of course that hasn't happened. So we're talking decades of work, very little payback, ground system still isn't fully implemented, and the satellites aren't all up either. And they're still relying on the old defense support program satellites, which Sibbers was satellites were supposed to replace. So why is this so logy? Why haven't they been able to meet their own goal? Well, part of it is the Air Force itself sort of is, you know, it's kind of like, why are you punching yourself in your face? Um, it doesn't know, but it keeps doing it. And when I say punching in the face, they kept adding requirements to this system, the Sibbers program. Um, So requirements kept changing and being added on, which added cost. The other part of it is there's a low risk tolerance in the acquisitions core itself. There's a lot of second guessing by leaders above program managers and sometimes outside of programs as far as congressmen, you know, lawmakers. They, especially if a contractor for a program is within a congressman's district or congressperson's district, if that contractor does a whisper program to guide the congressperson to start asking questions, the program managers can't ignore those questions. So that adds a lot of overhead, a lot of CYA in the process that really shouldn't be there, but is because of the nature of this. And again, the low risk tolerance leads to too much oversight. Too much oversight means more people. More people means more money. More money might mean that more people might find other issues that aren't necessarily or create more work and leads to longer times in programs. So it sounds to me one of the big holdups is Congress having to be beholden to them. And of course, Congress is always changing and they have their own people to answer to. Which is why it's funny when he says the lawmakers are pushing for change because that actually can change at any moment in time. So they may not push for change when they realize, especially if they're new Congress folks, that their districts are being impacted in some ways. I mean, that's being cynical, 
but that seems to be how it's working right now with our Congress folks. They aren't listening to people who need to be listened to. They're li- listening to the, the folks that have the most money, the contractors that have the most money to be able to help with maybe another campaign for them. In the article, there were a couple things that were a little uh, worrying to me. Um, and this article is supposed to be all rah-rah for the new, the new satellite um, acquisitions, but it mentions the, uh, sub, the House Armed Services Strategic Forces Subcommittee directs the Deputy Secretary of Defense to develop a plan to establish a separate alternative acquisition systems and then in the very next paragraph, Ripper said he has not had any engagement with the Congress on the pros and cons of a separate force. So that's a little scary that he can't even talk to them about what they themselves established. Right. Or trying to establish. Yeah. And it also says, I've been focused on understanding where space acquisition is, which seems super scary that he doesn't have anything to even work off of. So I think part of it is trusting the people that work for you. The folks in this, what we would call career field, the acquisitions career field, have a lot more um, CYA to deal with than maybe your average Air Force military person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, what you've mentioned are, are all great concerns. It just points to what has changed. I mean, of the things that he's pointing to change, to have changed in the, in the to get these programs done or a new system in place, it doesn't sound like things have changed that much to where they can be that radical to change to add a new acquisitions program. And it almost sounds like they're going to let the old one stay, but then add a new one to it, which I can't even I I don't understand that. And if it's if it's all if the old one's broken, then why not either get Check rid it. of the old one or fix it? But mm-hmm. don't short circuit it in some way. The questions of you know support from lawmakers, we just noted that that will probably change because lawmakers are fickle. They will respond to whatever pain point is in their district at the time. And if the pain point is no longer space, but maybe Social Security, they're going to focus on that. It, it becomes very, very trendy, unfortunately. Kind of a bit volatile. Yeah. Uh, cheaper satellites, well, those have always existed. It's just that the United States Air Force... They're willing to put a lot of money into these, you know, all their eggs in one basket, so multiple payloads on these exquisite systems, and they've talked about them before, Battlestar Galactica systems. These flagship satellites, they become unwieldy, they become expensive, they, they take too long to build. They really need to have some sort of what we call a come-to-Jesus meeting to figure out what simple really is, and we haven't No money, no problems. I haven't seen evidence that this has changed or this mindset has even changed because we then talk about, you know, the the EELV program that I noted earlier. So for the EELV program, which is not a satellite program, but a launch service provider program, and it was there put in place to ensure that the Department of Defense has a way to launch security satellites, military satellites up into the orbit. Mm-hmm. The Air Force is still very willing to go with the old traditional legacy providers, which means spending lots and lots of money for the Delta IV Heavy, for example. We're still talking over 360 to sometimes $450 million per launch, which is significantly more than even a mission-assured Falcon Heavy launch. 
And the only reason, apparently, that they're going with that is because the Air Force has this vertical integration requirement for their satellites, which means the space, the, the launch vehicle has to be vertical up, up and down, and not laying down for them to put the satellite on board. Okay. Is that arbitrary? I th- There probably are good reasons for it, but if you're talking between $300 million to $400 million in price difference for a launch, maybe it's time to look at those requirements again and figure out how you can adjust to having something that's maybe vertically, uh, not vertically, but horizontally integrated versus vertically integrated on the, on the launch vehicle. So, again, we hear all this talk, but then the Air Force goes and says, and they double down on the ELV contract saying, yep, we're going to go ahead and spend all this money on these launch providers because on, on this launch provider, ULA, and yeah, I don't, I'm not buying it. I'm, I know he probably means well, but I've heard it before and we'll see. I mean, the Air Force Secretary, Heather Wilson, had great things to say in symposium. She was saying the same kind of things, but those changes need to be happening now. They aren't something you do studies on that you do next month. They are something that you need to shock people all the way down the chain so they understand that change is happening and will happen. So so other than the desire for change, what, in your view, would actually make the difference? What's the holdup? I think if you empower your people a bit more, and the Air Force is not the only one that doesn't do this, but... Uh, we talk a lot about leaders and leadership, and I've got a whole series of articles about that. But um, So I think empowering your people, trusting your people more to get the job done well, and then you know, almost do like a, a blocker for your congresspeople. Not ignore them, but give them all the reports that the program managers have been giving to the acquisitions core. And the core takes the question and says, here, here's the report from the latest. And if you're doing, if you want to do more, uh, you know, research into what's happening in that program, by all means, you can spend the money you want, but our guys are busy trying to make this program a reality. And then the other part of that is, in the program, say, this is the budget. The program manager has all authority to do whatever they need to make sure that budget is not exceeded. And that even means that if there are queries by Congress folks. Those can be maybe put on the back burner or somehow deflected or have to be satisfied with some other method of reporting than what's traditionally been done. I don't know. I'm not an acquisitions <laughs> guy, but it seems to me there's a whole bunch of problems with this. And what he's talking about, it's unicorns and rainbows, and that's wonderful. But until we actually see things happening you know, where the money is actually being shifted and priorities are being refocused somewhere else, I think it's the same old thing. So, that was depressing, right? (laughs) A little uh, frustrating. Yeah, but you know what isn't depressing? What's not depressing? Seeing a sober little rocket launch where the rocket launches with a capsule and both of them come back successfully. That was pretty cool. Yeah, so we're talking about the Blue Origin New Shepard launch that occurred today. Um, It was a successful test. Um, there were no people on it. They had a dummy on the capsule. And what was the dummy's name? Mannequin Skywalker. Mannequin Skywalker. Uh, it's a terrible, terrible pun. But yeah, you got to give geeks what they can. Um, but you can. So 
There are also some payloads on there from a few space agencies and some companies as well. If you haven't seen the launcher, it's pretty cool to watch. You can go to the blueorigin.com website. They have it right there on their front page. I would recommend forwarding the video to the one hour, two minute mark and then watching from there because they also talk about plans with New Glenn. And it's kind of funny because New Glenn looks, as far as how they will have the rocket, or the booster come back, they're going to have it come back on a platform in the water, which sounds similar. To yeah. Is that for safety reasons because there's nothing else around? Well, or instead of on land, safety reasons drive where the locations of the launches are. Right. So they're always in the middle of nowhere, very right. dusty. Well, or they're aiming rockets out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. In this case, water. SpaceX is doing the same thing. I'm, I'm so just the safe, suggest- they're safety drivers for where the locations of the launches are at. But the reason why there's now sometimes SpaceX, I don't know if you've noticed, sometimes SpaceX will have a rocket come back to land, and sometimes it'll be on a drone ship, you know, a barge. Mm-hmm. And so part of that is it depends on how much fuel they project the booster to have to get back and land safely. If it's expending a lot of fuel to get something into orbit, they will put a barge out in the water, and the that that booster can just make it to that barge and not any closer mm-hmm. okay so look sounds like blue origins doing the same thing they kind of made a big hullabaloo about the fact that they're using a ship and not a barge a moving ship yeah to uh to, to land the booster on so okay but i think it's very very similar to some other things that we've seen i'm not saying that it isn't cool because the fact that there's two companies now that are going full on in usability is interesting to me so i mean what did you think what were the the payloads because since it just kind of went up and came back what sort of payloads would be useful i don't remember so i'd have to look into that but we've got links to the articles if you're interested in, in seeing what those are on the Space News site, they have a bit more detail on those. And if there's a rocket going up, you may as well put some right. payloads on it. But, so this, while cool, I mean, it is suborbital, okay? You saw it reach over 2,000 miles per hour in speed to get to, to get to Apogee. And then it reached 106 kilometers, I guess, is what they said, in altitude before coming back. So that's pretty neat to see that it doesn't reach orbital velocity so it doesn't reach something a speed to keep the the object in orbit but for space tourism and for research this might be the way to go but i do have some questions though and is it why is the u.s why is it you know here in the united states there's not just one company with a reusable rocket but now two that are going towards that that goal I mean, the United States appears to be the only one shooting for that. If you listen to anything that the Europeans are talking about, they're like, no, 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 reusability is not desirable. If you listen, China doesn't seem to be even pursuing that, except for they're doing wing reusability, so kind of like the space shuttle. Mm-hmm. And there is a company in the UK that's sort of talking the same thing, but using non-proven exotic technologies, which means it will probably be very expensive for people if this does work out for the UK. Which makes me wonder about what is it in the U.S. marketplace that, what are the conditions that make it possible to have these two there? And it's not just the reusable rockets, but we have all these other small launch providers, right? You've, you've heard of, say, Virgin Galactic. Mm-hmm. Um, 
There's also Firefly. They've made a sort of reappearance, a Methuselah sort of thing. And then Vulcan with sort of an underwing-launched, well, underwing, yeah, it's underbody-launched um, rocket as well. What is the incentive for all these companies? What's making it so that suddenly we have this multitude of companies out there that are going for rocket launch that we don't really seem to be seeing, except for maybe in China? And even those, I would argue, are more Kasich. They're Kasich-funded. We're not seeing that same sort of thing here, though. It seems to be all over the map, and I think a lot of people are still trying to throw things at the wall. But what is it that's making that possible? It can't be just the billionaires, because China has them, right? Every country has billionaires. Well, maybe not every, but but most countries have a billionaire who are uh, looking to the future and making names for themselves. I don't think it's just dreams. And I don't think it's just technology. I mean, the technology SpaceX uses, they say, is the same is old tech. They admit that. They say this is just tech we've used in different and novel ways, but it's still old technology, um, based on the work of NASA and other contractors, perhaps. And I believe Blue Origin's doing the same thing. And then you compare that to, say, the earnest efforts of what appears to be countries like North Korea or Syria, where they just seem to have trouble getting a one rocket that's viable uh, into orbit what what's the difference what's making it so that we have these companies just by themselves without much help from from the United States government you know as far as funding they're still able to field these systems certainly an interesting question it uh, it might speak more to i don't know our human psyche more than anything else but it's it's a very interesting question for sure now, I will bring up China again because they are working on small satellite launch vehicles, so they seem to be monitoring the trends for small satellites. But if something like, say, SpaceX's Big Falcon rocket comes into play, even small satellite rockets, I mean, the market will be there, but BFR might be a more a, a cheaper option for small satellites, honestly, and it might encourage people to build bigger small satellites. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I don't know. You know, when we talked about, you know, EELV program and the Air Force thing, it doesn't seem the military even wants SpaceX's Falcon Heavy, really. They might have some plans for it, but as far as EELV program, they seem to be more focused on Delta IV Heavy right now. So I don't think military money is necessarily funding like Falcon Heavy development or even BFR development. So what is it that that's just speeding this along, making these people... And these companies be so creative with all these different options and systems that are coming out. I don't know. The Illuminati. Sure. Or some other covert group. Maybe it's just dreams of Star Wars. I don't know. Or maybe we're some in some alien game and a couple of alien contestants are playing countries against each other. Yeah. I, You're not into that one. But it's a, it's a good one. I, it, I, for me, it's a, it's a good thought to to chew on to figure out what's going on and I know there are people who think they have the answers and some that are trying to forecast the answers that's about it speaking of tauntauns I didn't speak of tauntauns I have that on loop all the time in my head Um, what is the internal temperature of a tauntaun do you know it's lukewarm okay I guess I asked for that. That's it, everyone. If you liked our podcast and found it informative, please pass us on to your friends and colleagues. 
Links to the stories we discussed are in the show notes. We are on Podbean and Google Music. I have an invitation to listeners also. If there are any basic space industry questions, orbits, um, how satellites work, any um, sort of mini lessons on any basic information that maybe you feel like we are assuming too much that you know, um, go ahead and put these questions in the comments and maybe we will have just a little uh, glossary or mini lesson in a future episode if there's just more basic space questions. Right, and you'll find that at the madspaceball.com where this will also be posted, the podcast. We have authority to proceed. Thanks everyone for listening and have a great week.